Welcome back, pod people. My guest today is Richard Hansel, the founder of 318 Films, a new film studio that's just now coming into existence in Shreveport, Louisiana. Normally, when I do these interviews, I'm interviewing somebody about a specific film that they have made and that I have seen, and so I have a lot of questions about it naturally arising from that. Whereas with this, I haven't actually seen any of the movies you've made yet with 318 Films because you guys haven't made any yet. And so uh, I guess my first question is, what is the difference between founding a film studio and just deciding to make some movies? That, well, so uh, a very slight difference, and in our case, <laughs> what it really is, is, I mean, and anyone who's watched any movies or worked in that realm knows, it's an incredibly difficult way to get people to invest, and it's an incredibly difficult investment. There's a million rich grandmothers and aunts that have gone, uh, put sank a bunch of money into their kid's film and watched it go nowhere. Uh, this allows us to amortize the cost. It lets us get more money on the screen is, to me, the big thing it gives investors a better vehicle to come into. They feel a little bit better about it. And then it also lets us share resources. So every one of our directors is also, because we're all indie people, everyone's a writer, an editor, a camera person, a production designer. So everyone will work on everyone else's film and then everyone gets a stake in everyone else's film. So we split the risk and the profits uh. across the board. And so that keeps us working as a team. And it also lets it, you know, all of a sudden you, you're looking at someone's script a little bit differently when you're giving notes on something that you might get paid for, um, which, <laughs> which helps us out a lot. But three of our films, just because we are all you know, horror people to some extent, uh, three of our films are horror films. So it kind of works out, um, one, easier to sell, and two, just super fun to write and film. Um, the only problem being one of them is a creature feature, which I mentioned uh, before we started recording, and that's terrifying when you have to do a uh, believable creature. Ah, yeah, doing the actual like puppetry, uh, makeup effects, and everything like that. It's brutally expensive, but we think we have some good workarounds, and there's a bunch of great like I. So I love like indie, low budget horror, and especially foreign horror. It does it really well. So I think we've uh, been able to steal enough from some good films that we can maybe make ours okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what can you tell me about that creature feature? Oh man, so there is, I don't know how familiar you are with uh, Louisiana Legends, but that's one, this is one of them. A little bit. So it's, uh, and also, uh, did you ever see, there's an old movie called The Pacte de Loup, The Brotherhood of the Wolf. Which yeah, is a, that's a French werewolf movie, right? That's it. So this is a French werewolf. That's actually based on a true story. A buddy of mine was from that area in France and was furious they made that movie because right. he'd been working on it for like 20 years and never, you know, I'm not saying he was ever going to finish that script, but he had been working on it. That the werewolf story has traveled and it's one of those weird intercultural stories like it actually traveled there um, not every culture but many cultures have their version of a werewolf the french canadians that came down the cajuns brought the rougarou or loop guru is the technical french uh, loop being wolf so the in the cajuns down here they're calling the rougarou and it's basically a swamp werewolf some people think it's got snake parts some people think it's more werewolf ours will probably have a little reptilian to it uh, and it's a pretty classic cabin in the woods. People head out for a nice vacation, head to New Orleans. Next thing you know, there's voodoo, voodoo and werewolves taking over and a corrupt sheriff and just a ton of fun. Nice. Uh, so you said they're heading to New Orleans, but of course you're going to be filming it in Shreveport. We sure are. So take that, New Orleans. First of all, we can be you guys and better. Uh, we, we certainly <laughs> look like New Orleans, which is easy. We definitely have no shortage of swamps. Um, the filming in a swamp is terrible, but we have some good locations that are beside them. Well, we can get there via dry land, make it very easy. We don't want to deal with boats and water regulations and all that. Um, and yeah, and then the nightmare is going to be the Rougarou suit because there's actually, uh, I, I don't, I don't want to give away too much of the script, but there will be multiple people that get turned. 
so we have uh -huh. to have slightly different suits, which make it tricky. And I'm trying to talk the director into going the attack the block route, where it's the ultra black that you you know you can't really see much other than an outline works very well. All right, yeah, get a Vanta black <laughs> costume. Not actually practical, but that, that's exactly it, right? They film it, film it absorbs all light. No, it is, uh, and again, they did it so well. They just crushed the blacks. The movie's super contrasty when you watch Attack the Block, and then adding yeah. the glowing teeth gives you that definition. And then yeah. the only like rubber latex monster suit you see is the dead monster, which is a lot easier than having to have one that a puppeteer can get in or a person can get in and act through. All the creatures that move with the movement coach guy in it, they're the super deep black where they just put the fur, fur as black as they could get and then crushed it down. Um, cool. Yeah. And then we're also, I don't know if you've ever seen a Dog Soldiers, the old SAS werewolf movie. I have not only have I seen Dog Soldiers, I have interviewed one of the producers of Dog Soldiers for this show. I'm going to go back and watch that episode, man. I cruised through this. The head one of, one of the first ones I did. So, yeah. Oh, okay. That's why I did not go back that far. I, I, so, I love that movie so much. And it <laughs> it's very popular. It's so good. When even when the guy, like, you know, squares off with the werewolf to box him out, kind of a thing, the suit holds up really well. And they also did such a good job. All the entrails, like it's really clearly the sausages mm -hmm. from lunch that they nobody ate, but it just looks it looks real enough that it shocks you up and it doesn't take away from the movie. And you know they made it for not much money. And yeah, that's a quite like yeah. I, I love that movie so much because they do such a good job of blending in the humor with the horror. I mean, it's basically aliens in the woods, right? So it's they they do such a good job with it. Military versus animals or versus creatures. Yeah. Uh, earlier, um, before we started recording, you mentioned that Shreveport doubles for other cities such as uh, New Orleans and stuff a bunch. And that got me wondering, uh, do you happen to know where the Hatchet series was filmed? Because oh, I don't. Yeah, no, that was down south. Um, I would have to look it up. I, I don't remember where it was filmed. It was not filmed here, unfortunately. Okay. It's, uh, okay. I, wish, I wish more things came here. Uh, we're working on getting more things here. We're hoping we're sort of the vanguard of that. Um, but yeah, we'll see. All right. So aside from the uh, creature feature, what other things do you have in mind? Man, so, well, so we have uh, two, well, so we have a family drama, which is very weird and very Southern uh, and very, I'm very excited for that. It's one of those classes. It will do well. I think it'll do really well here. And then Scandinavia has a weird fascination with the American South. And then there's another uh, kind of coming of age. It's sort of a, a Southern housewife, 50 shades of gray, which is not the best okay. way to pitch it. The writer would kill me if she uh, <laughs> she's not gonna listen to this. I, you know what? I'm just not going to tell her we did this. Um, <laughs> and then we have the one. So I, I sent you so a like, a, like a bodice ripper sort of uh, romance. Ray, uh, it, it is a young lady who's married and uh, is not happy with the vanilla-ness of her marriage. She wants to explore. Her husband does not. She sets off to explore. And uh, we want to do it with real I mean, here's the thing, right? Like we have small towns frequently have weird scenes. Like there's a kink scene and a swinger scene and there's more going on than than in the big cities a lot of times, I think, in that world. Um, <laughs> so I, I do reality TV a lot as well as movies. So I've traveled around the country and generally the smaller towns are the freakier towns uh, in that sense. And so this sort of explores that, but with normal people. It's the, I don't, I don't know if you've watched any 80s movies that Adrian Lynn directed, but if you take Adrian Lynn's eye and applied it to sort of normal people instead of models and, you know, Jennifer Beals and Flashdance and people like that, then you, it's that kind of, that's what we want to do. We basically want to shoot normal people in the way that you would shoot beautiful beautiful models and actors and uh just uh, this is it's pretty true to the writer's experience i'll say um so yeah and then i sent you the weird uh murder musical by one of our directors yes yeah you sent me uh, a short film that was a, a sort of a horror musical um which is 
a very rare genre. Uh, I mean, obviously the most famous thing that's even arguably in that genre is the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yep. Although th that's not actually that scary. Yeah. Um, whereas this played the horror uh, more straight, uh, which was really interesting. So do you have plans uh, to do something like to turn that into a feature or? Uh, we Maybe. So that might be our next slate. But we do have that same director. So he is a very demented fellow named Josh Mons. Check out his work. You can find some of it online. He does the the strangest and just funny to me kind of stuff. He, he just made it. So he we have a local festival I should start with called the Louisiana Film Prize. It's great. It gives 50 grand to the winner of the contest, which is crazy. Oh, wow. so, yeah. So it's half judges and half audience. So you have to make a crowd pleaser, but then also be something that will appeal to a bunch of, you know, art snob film festival judges that are terribly jaded, but then also like the normal good folks of Shreveport. Uh, and Josh walks that line in a really weird way. So he ends up winning a grant almost every year that can only be applied to making another film. He always says he's never going to make another short. And then they give him five grand and are like, you have to make a short. Um, <laughs> so like this year's was about an aging tennis player that had got his, uh, I'm not sure how R-rated we can be on this. Uh, so I'll just say. Um, got his, you can say whatever you want. There you go. He got his balls. He got his junk stuck in his tennis racket when he was young in a very important tournament, never recovered, and now at the age of 60 is going to come back and play this tournament and win the against the young brash guy. And he filmed it with his dad, who is a preacher. So that, that should tell you all you need to know about Josh right there. Uh, um, but yeah, so he made a horror murder musical love story. Uh, and then wrote, I love a really good serial killer movie. And the premise is, it's one of those people, and we all know these ladies, it's the classic lady at home that listens to the murder podcasts and read the murder books and watches the murder shows on Discovery ID. And then she's always mad that nothing ever happens around her. And then things start happening around her. And it sort of faces one, we get a bunch of great kills and like really fun slashery, you know, blowing people through windows, kind of old fashioned stuff with right. the sort of moral question of should you be watching all this murder content because these are real people with real lives it's not like watching a horror movie where someone's created it and it's josh is again he's a very strange cat he's from here he grew up in a very religious family went to a christian school loves horror movies and filmmaking and has ended up in this world of what is the moral quantity of writing a horror movie about people that consume too much murder stuff and is it okay to watch people die a bunch and then be titillated by that as he's murdering people on screen in truly gruesome fashion. Um, so yes, I'm very excited for that one. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. That's awesome. So tell me a bit about your background. You mentioned doing um, reality TV. What other stuff uh, brought you to making independent films like this? Oh man. So I'm the classic, like, so didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know film was a job. Like legitimately, I grew up in the world. So I'm a little bit older. Like n nobody knew that you could do film and TV for a living where I was from, from a small town. Went off. I was a philosophy major. thought I was going to go to law school, but I was also a musician. I got an internship at a post house and they had a really good music department, but it was dead. And so they said I had to go work in the TV department. And I was like, oh, TV, that sucks. I don't want to do that. And it was actually in the telecine. I would go to the film lab, pick up film every morning, drive it, load it in the machine, run it through for the colorist. And I loved it. And I started meeting people and they let us come out to set. I got to go watch a Foley session. I had never heard of Foley before then. And I just fell in love. So I shifted over to film school and actually in Montana State up in Bozeman. So, uh, so it's all the way up 25 and over 90 from where you are. 
Uh, and it was a really good film school at the time. Did the classic thing up there, filmed a bunch of shorts, did a bunch of dumb shit, and then moved to LA with some friends. And like everybody, started as a PA man. So I knew I loved directing. We were all quite surprised that we got to LA with our amazing reels and nobody hired us to, you know, here's $10 million, you should go make these movies. Um, yeah. every, everybody, it turned out, coming out of film school in the 90s was shocked that that happened. Oh, but, my goodness. Yeah, right. But we all worked our way up and we all sort of found our different departments and ended up. And because I knew I wanted to, you know, kind of helm stuff as a producer and director, I tried to work in every department on the way. Um, can't do audio. Terrible at it. But I've done <laughs> Um, worked at a trailer house, so I got to see the advertising side, which was great. We did all the Disney animation and then also live action stuff, but I got to like literally sit with the head of marketing for Disney and, you know, in the background taking notes and getting coffee or whatever, but listening to them talk about <laughs> how to market Toy Story 1 and 2. It was, it was a great education. From there, just sort of skipped around departments. I ended up, so I love camera. I like to shoot. I like to gaff. I've gaffed indie films. Um, produced a bunch of stuff and then ended up really accidentally on reality TV. Uh, they just, they were hiring. It was super dry. A friend recommended me and I did uh, the kids version of a show called junkyard wars for NBC. Okay. And they just let us do a bunch of crazy stuff. And I was like, this is super interesting. And you also, you get to direct, you get to edit, you get to be more hands-on. Uh, and then one of the guys that I worked with that same company actually wrote milk and won an Oscar that year. And I was like, Oh wow. This, the this Harvey is, milk film. The, yeah, that's exactly it, the Harvey milk. And so this is not a, a path that, um, you know, takes you away from film. And so I store, started swinging between like indie films for very little money and then doing reality to pay the bills. And, uh, it just worked out great. Cause I've got to meet uh, so many weird people and so many weird stories. I worked on finding Bigfoot for a season. So I got to go out with all the cryptid hunters and like really dive into their mythology and where they're going and what they believe and why. Um, a lot of fodder for scripts and a lot of ways to do stuff cheaply that still holds up. So yeah, it was a good education. Nice. Uh, what? Talk a bit about that doing stuff cheaply that still holds up. Oh my gosh! So we have to do a lot of recrees, right? So they have a lot of the a lot of what? Sorry, uh, oh, recrees, recreations. Um, and in fact, I did a spike show trying to think if the NDA has run out. Uh, but we, so there was a show we did for, you know what, Spike doesn't even exist as a network, so it's fine. There was a show called Surviving Disaster and they called them pre-creations, which is to say we wrote scripts, we hired actors, and then we filmed scenes, but we weren't allowed to say that because that would have put us under WGA and DGA rules. So they literally, their lawyers called them pre-creations. We were imagining recreating a thing that had never happened. Uh, wow. Okay. Yeah. It was it was a pretty good uh, pretty good bit of legalese I would say, but it was all, here's the thing we got that to write. Does not there. seem like it would stand up if anybody actually pushed back on it. That's but. the thing, man. It's at our budget level, and we had like our director was we had some big name directors come in, which was great. But then we also got to direct a bunch of stuff, and we had a Navy SEAL host. It was awesome, man. Like I got to work with trained bears. I got to like literally direct a bear attacking a dude and taking him down in the snow so we wow. got like a guy breaking his leg we had to fake that and literally like i'm off camera by the sound guy snapping celery like all the old school kind of roger corman tricks uh as it went which was a and roger corman by the way is absolutely like the guide of what we're trying to do like i just i want to be the roger corman of shreveport which i'll never be he's the king right but like that's the goal you set your goal really high and then hopefully you get halfway up that mountain and if yeah. I can generate half the director directing talent that he's produced over the years, I'll be thrilled, right? Yeah, um, man, I would love to be able to get Roger Corman on this show. I read his book, uh, How I Made 100 Movies in Hollywood and Never Lost a Dime. Yeah, um, yep. 
And uh, yeah, I think it sounds like you're already doing one of the things that struck me as distinct about his style from a lot of the other autobiographies I've read from directors, which is getting a really like collaborative, friendly air on the set um, where he's not, uh, he doesn't have as as strict a vision of things as other people do and is more focused on like the thing he's strict about is like let's stick to the schedule and and get yeah. things done on time um so yeah i think that's uh sounds like you're you're on your way that well that's the plan and his other big thing was you don't look we're making b movies right you don't hire a director that's making a b movie the producers are making B-movies. The director thinks they're making Ben-Hur, I think was his quote at the time. So you get a Spielberg, you get a James Cameron, you get a Ron Howard, you get these guys that are going to go win Oscars, and they're going to make their version of an Oscar-winning movie about a truck that's trying to murder people. And that is perfect. That's exactly what I want. I tell every director that we've got signed up, I don't want them to ever work for me again. I want to make this one movie in the street for it, and then I want Disney or whoever to steal them away and give them $70 million or $100 million and go make a movie. And they're not trying to make the beam. I'm trying to make a movie that will let us get enough money to do this for the rest of our lives. Just keep this going as a studio. I want them to make the greatest movie that's ever been seen, even if it is about a Louisiana werewolf, right? It's like, let's let's do the best version of that possible. And they all are fully on board. They're believers, which is good. That was my big Corman takeaway. Yeah. I think the, the biggest specific piece of advice that I remember from the book is... Um, get your investors to give you like $50,000 or whatever to make a movie and then uh, use $25,000 to make one movie and give it to your investors and use the other $25,000 to make a different movie that you own yourself. <laughs> I, I thought about that. So we can't under, so there's a thing called a, I don't know how much in the weeds you want to go, but there's a thing called regulation crowdfunding. So it used to be, I, I don't know if you know, like we're not allowed to invest in IPOs. Like if something, if, when Google went public, Unless you, and I shouldn't say us, I don't know what you're worth. Unless you have a massive- <laughs> I am not worth a whole lot of money. <laughs> so man, it is like, it, the amount of money you have to have to be what's called a qualified investor, I was stunned. It's a really, really high number with, without including like your house and other major assets. You have to be liquid for millions of dollars before you can invest. So I never realized oh. how closed investing was. During the Obama years, he opened up a thing because Kickstarter and all that was happening. They actually opened where you can actually invest, not get a t-shirt or a trip to set. You're actually buying a stock instrument like you would buy a piece of Google or GM or whatever. The top raise was 1.2 million. Biden changed it in March to 5 million. So all of a sudden you can have an IPO for a film studio or anything. It could be biotech, it could be a bar, it could be film, it could be whatever. Project M actually does it to uh, do seed money for all their movies. But they'll raise enough for development, which is basically them casting, right? Because they have big money. They've got Roland Emmerich money. Um, we're doing it to do the whole thing. But we are, we're asking 2.5 because we're going to spend about 1.5. And then we're going to put that other million into other stuff, uh, including building out next season, casting, P&A, all that stuff. Um, and then our other big secret sauce, man, is we have massive rebates here. We have big tax incentives here. Oh, they, okay. they went away. We had a, a governor named Bobby Jindal. He decided to run for president. Couldn't be seen working with those Hollywood liberals, so he tanked our credits. The new uh, government brought him back, but he dropped the floor. So if anybody's uh, making indie movies, please come to Shreveport. I will help you out. We are, it's me and like three other people are the film commission because we don't have an official film commission. But in Georgia, I think the floor is $2 million in Georgia to qualify. Here the floor is fifty grand. So if you're making a $100,000 movie, 
come on over here and you get 35 well if it's a if someone in louisiana wrote your screenplay you get 35 back if from out of town you'll get between 25 and 30. the other thing is that's you, not bad at all it's not bad at all so it's if you're making a hundred thousand dollar movie you've already got 30 grand back in our case when we're spending a million we can cough up three hundred thousand to our investors but we're not going to investors we are saving it for marketing because the other big thing uh. i have so many friends that have made movies that i love to debt like such good movies and nobody knows where they are and if you're if you don't get picked up by a big distributor and you're trying to cut through the noise on amazon or netflix or anywhere else it, it's just you know you flip across there's all these movies there's people you've seen there's directors you know and you've never heard of these movies so we're actually holding back those savings to or those rebates to put into marketing so people will actually know about our films and see them and look i really hope someone buys them and goes and does all that for me and we just give that money right back to the investors. But if they don't, I just want to have a plan. I've just, I, I just, Jesus, I probably worked on 10 different indie movies that I thought were really good and just nobody's ever heard of them and nobody ever will because you need a pretty good war chest to cut through the noise when you're trying to advertise a film. Yeah, yeah. Tell me a bit about um, how you get advertising to work because like out of all the things that I've ever uh, worked on, advertising and marketing has always been the least effective and yeah. the most miserable and the most expensive part it, it's the worst and there's a reason they always say you have to double your budget in hollywood right like the advertising right. is going to be about half the budget and it's obviously not an exact formula but one working at a trailer gave me some really good insight working on the ad side of it for us we also have a little bit of a secret weapon in that one of our writers and directors actually the guy that did peeping todd he manages social media channels for people so he has one person with mm. over a million subscribers across like three different socials so okay. she will be part of our advertising weaponry the other is casting right it's and the guy who's directing the ruger does an excellent job of this he makes really nice low budget movies and he casts people who have big followings he did a christmas movie and it's again it's not my age group it was a girl who's in the witches of waverly place so she has a massive following from disney she's a disney kid okay so you get a twofold thing one she has a gazillion instagram followers that love everything she does and they'll show up the other thing is he was actually a child actor and he's been 100 percent right so far they are such pros if it's someone who worked for disney or nickelodeon as a kid they show up they're prepared they hit their marks they're super nice to everybody and they come in and are ready to go. There's no fussy, there's no, I'm gonna sit in my trailer, there's no, oh, I need to change all this. They have good ideas, they're all smart people because they survived in what I think is a pretty cutthroat world of child stardom. And they're solid, solid pros with big followers. So that's another one of the ways we're able to get the advertising across. And then the rest is you go on podcasts, you do fun stuff like this, you, talk <laughs> you try to get the word out as much as possible. And look, we have a built-in audience um, and then the other, I, I mentioned before, and so I work at a little two screen art house theater here in Shreveport, uh, robinsonfilmcenter.org. If anybody wants to go and contribute money, please do. We do education K through 12 and workforce development here uh, in the Northwest Louisiana area, which is not a, uh, our, our socioeconomics are not good. I'll say that here. Um, so we get to tell kids like, Hey, this is a real job and train them up for film school for jobs in the industry. We have, again, not wealthy kids. One of our kids uh, from our team film council went to Princeton and another just went to SCAD this year. Um, so we're seeing kids who definitely would not get those opportunities, get opportunities. Um, but the other thing is I program the film. So I talk to distributors, I go and meet with the distributors. So we have a little bit of that advantage too, because I can literally call someone from Lionsgate and say, hey, I made these movies. I've been booking your movies for the last five years. 
would you take a look at this slate and tell me what you think? Um, so that's another little bit of our secret sauce. Okay. Uh, so interesting. So it sounds it sounds less like that there are best practices that you're following and more like you've built up a network of connections and it's, that, that's it's, really valuable to you. It is, man. And then honestly, it's shotgunning it. it there is no, and so I have a very good friend. Uh, we've literally been friends since second grade and he is part of our team and helping out. He's written Super Bowl commercials. He has gone and filmed things for Kellogg's and GM and worked with Tom Brady and all the big stuff. And I'm like, dude, like, how do you guys get metrics? And I, I don't want to, I'm not going to name any names, um, but it is, they don't. Like nobody, no, nobody can prove advertising works. The only proof that advertising yeah. works is that people spend money on advertising. So, right? It's a, it's a yeah. Yeah. And yeah. look at the movies that have had massive advertising pushes and then gone nowhere. And then you look at the movies that have gotten word of mouth and have traveled ever. I mean, attack the block, right? It's like, that's yeah. a classic example. And nobody... It's not like there was a big advertising push. Friends told me about Attack the Blog. Almost all the indie movies and almost all the horror movies I like, people have told me about. And yeah, so, well, Attack the Blog is interesting because I feel like even if there was a big advertising push for it, I still wouldn't have seen it because it would have been in England. Yes, and, yep. Um, but yeah, I, I know I've paid for advertising. I've hired professionals to do advertising uh, for like, uh, Kickstarter campaigns, and oh, yeah. I, have, yeah. I have never gotten a return on investment above one. Yeah, um, no, so Dude. it's never been worthwhile for me. <laughs> yeah, no. So the ROIs are terrible. Here's the other weird thing: is what does work, and actually, so you can track it a little bit better now. Billboards work really well, and I'm not saying we're going to buy billboards, Ooh. but if you look at billboards, they're crazy expensive, and you're like, why is it so expensive? And they're like, here's the metrics. And I'm like, whoa, shit, you guys have metrics? Because I'm very, it's I, I like, look, I'm a classic like film idiot, right? Like I love movies. I just want to make movies. But I've tried to get more data driven as I've gone on in my career to be able to make better decisions just because, it, look, it, more money we give back to the investors, the more other investors we get. So I've gone deep on data driven stuff. It is, it, billboards are actually like really effective if you're trying to get certain things out, film being one of them, right? Classic, uh, the Room, the Tommy Wiesau thing, that yeah. dude, that dude bought a billboard. I used to live in LA. I lived up there for like 20 years. I drove by his billboard almost every day. It was either on Highland or La Brea. I thought it was like some super artsy film. And so I went to see it. Like I had no idea what it was. I literally went to a theater and watched the room and was like, oh, what a terrible mistake I've made. But also I have to see this through. I have to know what this is now. But that dude paid for a billboard and it did what like he literally brought people in. I know many people with the same story where they're like, I saw the billboard. I hadn't heard because it's pre-internet or early internet. And we all went and watched it. So, yeah. Um, and everybody, look, every indie guy says, we're going to start a viral campaign. Maybe you are. Maybe you aren't. Nobody can predict. If you can predict what goes viral, you shouldn't be making movies. You should be uh, living at your house in the south of France because you're going to be a billionaire if you can actually do that. Um, yeah. Do you have the influencers? I do like, we're going to cast people, again, with big followings, but who are actually good at what they do. Uh, so that's a nice comment. Not the stunt, you know, it's, it's pick your uh, flavor of the day, internet, Kardashian, Jake Paul, whatever, like none of that stunt casting stuff. It will be real actors, but with decent followers. I also am a big fan, especially in horror comedians, because they mm. come with big followers and they all, I mean, look, like, I, I don't know if you've hung out with a lot of comedians, none of them have really happy pasts. They're generally very dark people on the inside. So they mm. translate really well over to the sort of thriller horror um, you know, think about Jim Carrey and the cable guy, right? It's like, it's such a weird and dark and he's so Interesting. weird. It, it travels across the Robin Williams stuff, insomnia um, with Robin Williams. You know, it's like you start to see these, uh, what was it? 20, 24 hour photo. 
the one uh, yeah i was gonna say i think one hour photo one hour photo one hour it's exactly yeah so you look at those where you take one of these people and you put them in that role and even the fisher king right where he's a crazy person uh you take these people and you put them in these darker roles and you one you get a really really interesting performance i believe most times and then you also you know you get their followers and that's good free advertising for you and then it also gives you something you can advertise if look if netflix is running a special by them at the same time or they've got a special year out you start filming that's very helpful um but again all our casting and this i've given the directors like you guys get to pick i'm not going to come in and say you have to pick this person because they have x amount of followers it has to be the right person for the role if those two things right. coincide everybody wins if they don't we'll figure it out yeah so yeah i wish i had a secret sauce man but i don't <laughs> so uh so you're talking about bringing in outsider um like at least relatively famous people um how how much uh are you focusing on like doing things with with shreveport locals man almost all so that's the other thing with our big short film contest because we so it's every year it's and it's uh geez what was this year like it's 15th year or something it's been going for a long time so i've now seen pretty much every local actor and i've also so my thing is if i'm not working i will come work on your short film for free like if you're young, if, you, if this is your 20th short film, I'm not gonna come. If you're a kid that's <laughs> never made one, I'll do whatever. Like I'll get coffee, I'll be your DP, I'll gaff, like whatever you need, I'll come and do it. Just cause one, nobody did that for me. And two, I wanna see how everyone works. So that's the other thing. Everyone who's involved in this production, I've been on set with them and I've seen them in the uh -huh. rain, I've seen them in the heat, I've seen them under stress, I've seen them when we're happy and I've probably seen them drunk. So I have a really <laughs> good idea. We have a bunch of really talented actors, like people I really, really like. And again, one of our directors was a child star. He is an actor and he's an actor in other people's shows. He's an actor in his own shows. He has a great eye. And then we have a casting director here who worked in LA for like 10 or 15 years, was from here, moved back here to start a family and is now like, you know, PTA mom, works as a teacher for the talented arts program. She's great. She has an amazing eye for talent. And I'm like, would you have time? Like now that the kids are in high school, could you get back into it at all? She's like, a hundred percent, I could. Um, so we have a little bit of that. We have a great DP here. Oh my God. Like one of my favorite DPs, he's made a bunch of indie movies. He's on a, a Fox reality show right now. A lovely guy. He's a guy from South Dakota who went to school in Texas and ended up here and just like makes beautiful images and is a great storyteller. We have like real ACs, a buddy of ours and actually works that DP all the time. He came off the Winchesters, the, um, the, uh, Oh my god! Supernatural, supernatural spinoff. Thank you. So, like, he's a union first, but he's also a good friend, and that's the other thing is we can't guarantee you a great rate, but we can <laughs> you five films worth of a shitty rate. So you can go work for one movie for big money, which I totally get, and that actually is what people should do. Or you can stay home and get a hundred days of work across these movies and not get paid much, but have a good time. Um, so yeah, so we have a great base here, and there's. The guy from Peeping Todd, uh, the actual Peeping Todd guy, is one of my favorite actors. He has done comedy, he's done heartfelt stuff, he's done romance, and he did a uh, horror short that actually just got turned into a feature that you'll be hearing about, I really hope, soon. Um, I, I just saw it last week, and it is fantastic. And he's like the main guy in a, in a psychological horror, and it's fantastic. What's so, it called? Uh, there's a movie called The Fetch. Uh, that it, no distributors. If you want to talk to the director, I'd love to introduce you guys. They made a short film seven years ago. They were walking out, and I was again, so I volunteer at the festival as well. So again, I can see all the movies like 30 times and figure out who's good and who's not. They're walking out, and I was like, dude, is that 
a proof of concept for a feature they were like yeah 100 <laughs> percent he got the money somewhere in the half million dollar range it it looks like they spent 10 million dollars on it like it, he's the classic example nice. he was not making a low budget horror he was making the exorcist he just happened to only have a low budget amount of money um and it's i, I loved it it scared the shit out of me like i was actually mad at him because he didn't tell me so me and this again the advantage of working in a movie theater the executive director and i and my executive director is like a huge horror guy uh we sat and just watched it by ourselves at like 2 p.m on a tuesday uh and just fired it up in the theater and it scared the shit out of me and like in a really <laughs> good way uh and left me disturbed like i legit yelled at him for not telling me how disturbing it was um and i was like also i yelled at him because i was like please please just hold out and get a real distributor. Like this needs a marketing push. It needs a real distributor. It, it's too good to get buried, man. I'm so proud of him. Like I'm so thrilled. It's really good. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you could get uh, like a screener link or something for me uh, to watch that, then yeah, I'd love to, I mean, assuming that I like it, which I expect yeah. I probably will, uh, then I'd love to interview the director. Yeah. I'll check um, with him. His name is Colby Dolor. It's actually a really talented Colby and Taylor Dolor, and it's a husband and wife team. Taylor's actually going to direct one of our films. So he's edited a bunch of, he came from an editing background and then moved into directing, which, you know, is killer because he knows exactly what he's using and what he's not, and he keeps it tight. Nice. So um, it sounds like you've got a real focus on a traditional distribution model where you like, you pitch to distributors and then they purchase the rights from it for. Uh, from you for a certain part of the world and then they try to get a theatrical release going on there uh, yep. and then eventually maybe it ends up on streaming or there's a physical media release or something like that man that is the plan and this is again i'm showing my age so i love movies i love the theater i love the cinema as uh, so my executive director is from trinidad which is weird he grew up a huge cinephile in trinidad uh and has like all these amazing stories so he always called it cinema I, to me, the experience, and especially with a horror movie, horror and comedy are the two ones where I think you need to be in a theater because you mm. need to hear other people go, and you need to be looking behind you because you know someone's behind you, or they laugh and you laugh, they cry, you cry. I love the communal experience of film going. And look, I, obviously I watch a million okay. movies on the TV behind me because that's the world we live in and it's just easier. And I have a kid and you know I've got yeah. two hours free at midnight. I'm gonna watch, I try to watch a movie or a show at least one every night before I go to bed. So just to, it's mainly because I like it. I should, I'm, yeah. I'm going to pretend it's for research. It's not, it's because it's what I like to do. Um, but yeah, so we will go streaming. I have no problems with streaming. I actually, I worked for Netflix for a show. I loved it. It's a great experience. I, it's obviously, you know, their business practices, whatever, but I actually really like the way they treat creatives. Um, okay. pr prior to the strikes, I should say they were very good to us and our team. Um, mm. and it was a lot of freedom and I like that. I think it's gotten a little different now. It's much more algorithm driven. Um, but I really want to release in theaters as best we can, even if it's a small tour, even if we end up booking 40 or 50 theaters, do that first and then go to streaming from there. I, okay. I just think it's, I think it's so important for our filmmakers. And I also think it's a good way to make money. Again, I book movies, so I know what the splits are. I know what kind of money we pay out to these guys. Like I literally, I run the forums and then send them to our accountant to write a check to Lionsgate or to Music Box or whoever. So I know what the money is, and I believe it's a solid revenue stream for us. Um, and it, I don't know if you're familiar, there's uh, some Music Box is an art house theater in, in uh, Chicago. They have their own distribution, kind of like Alamo Drafthouse does. They made a movie called Strawberry Mansion, uh, geez, two years ago. This guy, Kentucky Auber, it's a sci-fi movie that they, it looks like they made it for like $12, and it's so good. 
And they literally did a tour. And I, I think it was 50 theaters. And they released tour shirts, which is hilarious. So you can buy a shirt with their logo and it lists all the theaters on it. And they just put it together themselves. They basically called a bunch of theaters and were like, this is available. Do you want it? And we were like, shit, yeah, we want it. Like once we saw the, the teaser, we we're like, yeah, we got to have it. Um, and again, art house theater. But there's enough theaters out there and there's enough weird people that want to go see these things. Uh, we have a program called Friday Night Freakout, which is basically movies me and the executive director like his is almost all horror minus some horror and a lot of sci-fi and then like oh my god you guys have never seen robocop what is even happening we have to all sit together and watch robocop so there are markets there are a lot of these art house theaters have places for weird independent movies and horror movies that you're not going to see um and again also foreign i think it's super it's just you know I, I want my directors to be able to say we screened at 12 theaters in sweden kind of a thing and just have that on their resume and be excited about it and go visit and do a Q and a and then come on back. And when it hits Netflix, then it's got some word of mouth. Cause again, the best advertising I've ever seen is word of mouth. And yeah. the best way to do that is to get in theaters. And then those, the hardcore nerds that go to theaters like me, we're the people that are going to proselytize for those movies. We're the people that are going to tell you, Holy shit, this just hit Netflix. Dude, I saw it four months ago. You're not going to believe it absolutely you have to stream this down and i'm going to be on facebook talking about it i'm going to be on twitter talking about it i saw this movie you have to go see strawberry mansion greatest thing i've seen in the last year and then that helps kick off that word of mouth so that's we we truly do count on the film nerds like the cinephiles for the fancy people to see these movies and then talk about them. do you guys have any uh drive-ins down near shreveport Man, we don't because our weather is always terrible. We have up to uh, three good uh, three good weeks every year. Um, so no drive-ins left. I love a drive-in. I used to live in Santa Cruz out in California, and they had a drive-in. I saw a double feet. God, it was aliens, and now I can't remember what the other half was. But I sat in the back of my Jeep with a date watching aliens outside, and it was amazing. Like It was just like, this is such a cool experience. Um, yeah, if I can do a drive-in tour for three of these movies, I 100% will. Yeah. Hey, we've got a drive-in here in Pueblo, Colorado. So what? yeah, oh, that's, dude. I mean, honestly, hearing people sing the praises of hardtop cinemas, uh, now that I have access to a drive-in, I'm just like, man, I just cannot go back to the, yeah. the hardtops. There's like the fact that I can control the volume, I can control the temperature, I yep. can, uh, I can get up and go to the bathroom if I have to without interrupting anybody else's experience. Yeah. I can talk to the other people in the car without interrupting anybody outside of our my group. Dude, um, it's it's uh, I really like it. <laughs> it's the best of both worlds. You get your bubble like you would with streaming, where you have your own snacks and your own thing on your own schedule, but you get to hear the people laugh and you get to hear yeah. the people gasping. You get to feel the community around you. Now we'll do pop ups. So we are on. We're literally on like the main street downtown, which again, small small city. Yeah. But we'll do a inflatable uh, screen that we pop up. And so it's not a drive-in, but people like walk up. So you don't have the temperature control and all that, but you still get the outside experience. And then we're down the street from a museum that does like once a month They'll in the summertime, which is miserable. But, you know, it's still fun to go see. But, yeah, I miss a drive-in. We just – it's not a market here. And it's, you know, between the mosquitoes, the snakes, the heat, the humidity. Yeah, <laughs> that all makes yeah. sense. Yeah, unfortunately. But yeah, man, I miss him. God, I didn't even think about that because I don't have a big drive-in connection, but now I, I'm going to see if we can do a drive-in tour. Like I said, three of them are perfect fits for drive-ins. Two of them, not so much, but the the three horrors would actually fit really well as drive-in movies. Yeah. 
So how did you decide what your uh, first slate of movies would be? Is it just what people were already writing or? It was, well, so everybody, I mean, look, if they're a writer, they probably have more than one script, right? So it was, what are you working on? Let's sit down, let's talk it through. And then trying to put together a balanced slate that felt good. And there's one, it's funny, there's actually, and she's, she's going to kill me. Um, and her husband is one of the co-founders with me. He's, he's working on it as well. He's in an instrumental role. She has a movie that I love to death that she's been pitching me for like three years and she just won't finish the script. And I'm like, you have to finish like, and she's like, just, we'll just put it in. I'm like, nope, we can't, it has to be finished. I have to read it physically. You can't just tell me an idea and then I'm going to hope you do it. You have to finish it. So I, yeah. she, she says it'll be ready for uh, next, we call them seasons, our next slate. Uh, hopefully it'll be ready for next season. We'll see. Um, so yeah, it was a pick. It was partially, I'd like to say there was a master plan. There was a little bit of uh, sales design behind it, but it was also, these were the five I liked the most of five writers that I love. I love what they do. These were the scripts that I liked the most and they have other scripts that are really good. And then it just seemed like a good combo. Horror is an easier sell. So we have like a real, we haven't even talked about Dead Evil, which is this cra the craziest, like a real Joe Bob Briggs B-movie fucked up story that I'm super excited about. Then like the classic creature feature, and then the kind of there's a little comedic element to Josh's thing, and then the classic housewife, and then the family drama. Those are all things that travel internationally. They're all movies that play well internationally. They're oh, all ones that have specific okay. markets that I can look at. And then it's also balanced. I didn't want to do I look, if we were just gonna make money, I would make five religious films. Like the really easy way is to make like a Christian uh, based movie that because the bar is really low, man. Like, I'm sorry to yeah. our friends that make Christian films. But if all I wanted was an ROI, if I just wanted to make money, I would I would just do that. I don't ever, like, look, if you come to me with a really good one, like Book of Eli is the greatest Christian movie ever made, right? Like Book of Eli with Denzel Washington is very clearly a Christian movie, and it's a fantastic film. But it's not uh, Kurt, Cam and again, apologies if you love, like, the Kurt Cameron stuff, whatever, <laughs> Kevin Sorbo. It's just, I, I can't. I can't. It's, I, I, I love movies. I can't make those. Um, but they do make a lot of money. So... Horror makes money and can be good at a low budget level. Family drama translates well. Everybody's got a family. Everybody's family's weird in its own way, right? And then the romance stuff, there are a lot of women that, that are in that world that feel that way. And so, and again, in other countries that don't necessarily have our Puritan backgrounds, it will play in a different manner, but works really well. So it seems like a good balance. I didn't, we thought about going all horror. And, you know, next thing you know, you're like, look, Michael Bloom's doing great stuff, right? It's And you follow that path. You make these low-budget horror movies. You try to get a franchise. Next thing you know, you're doing your Oscar movies. And then you're moving on from there. I just, I like all kinds of movies. So I didn't just want to relegate to one genre. It also feels riskier. I don't have Michael Bloom's money or connections. Mm. He started out with a lot of juice. So great. But I need to spread my risk a little bit more. And also, I just like them. Like, every script makes me laugh or feel something in in a good way so yeah that's that's good it is it may come back to bite us i will see how much passion actually comes across and it's my my first job in la was as a pa on armageddon so i got to like hmm. so you know take stuff to jerry bruckheimer and see how he works and every bruckheimer movie is really clearly a bruckheimer movie like you know it is yeah and everybody thought it was don simpson and then when simpson passed it turned out it was bruckheimer because the movie still looked the same and still have that same thing I want to have a little bit as a producer, like a little bit of the influence, but I don't want every movie to really distinctly be to look like the same person made it, like regardless of the director. Because every Bruckheimer, like even Tony Scott, right? Like one of the great directors of our time, Days of Thunder could have been directed by the guy who did Con Air or The Rock or 
any of those other movies. It's all grad filter. It's the same skies, same shooting style, fast cut, grad filter, rose skies, the, you know, beautiful people doing this one thing, striving. That's fine. And look, Mr. Bruckheimer is wealthier than I'll ever be and is a very nice dude. It turns <laughs> out like actually like a real, and then he played hockey at the same place I did. Like he's a super nice guy. I'm oh, sure he's cool. brutal in business, but he's actually like, he was, he was a really, he was nice to PAs and he was nice to random people at a hockey rank who he would just, you know, small talk with and not knowing. I, he probably didn't think I knew who he was. Um, so that's an admirable goal. But I want us to, again, the Corman model. It could be a movie from anyone. It's just a really well-made movie. It's a really well-made low-budget movie is what I want. All right. So uh, once you've got these distribution deals, you've done your 50 theater run and everything, uh, if people don't happen to live, like, I mean, I live in a mid-sized town that uh, we have the one drive-in and the one hardtop, which I like never go to these days. Yeah. Um, how are people gonna be able to find your movies? That's the hopefully uh, by the distributor putting a bunch of money into the advertising, but more likely by us putting a bunch of money. In the advertising. Oh no, I mean, uh, like if it's if it's playing in fifty theaters, and none of those theaters are near me. Oh yeah, then you're waiting for the streaming window. Okay. So after yeah, and we'll build in shorter. Um, oh gosh, what just released? They did a day and date, and it did really well. Uh, it literally released on streaming the same day as it released in theaters. Oh, the, the Five Nights and Freddy's. Five Nights at Freddy's, yeah, and so it cranked up. It was the like eighth highest per screen this year, which includes like Barbie, Taylor Swift, Oppenheimer. Like it was right under yeah. Oppenheimer per screen. And I think it pulled down, it was like 78 million uh, opening weekend while it was also on streaming. So it's yeah, crazy. Is, and look, it's got the big built in with the games and the books, right? Like it's, it's a built in IP has an advantage that we will not, but I'm not against releasing and streaming in theaters at the same time. Cause to me it is too, like if you tell me it's in both, I can stay home with my PJs and watch it on Netflix or I can go down to the Robinson and watch it. I'm going to go to the theater and it's a pretty good split, right? There are certainly people that feel the other way. There's nothing wrong. There are different experiences. As long as people watch our movies, I don't care, man. Like, and it's honestly like, you know, don't tell the investors, like the money is very important. Cause like, I've got a kid, this is how I pay my bills, but people seeing it means a little bit more than the money. Like that's all we want is these are like, these are good stories, dude. Like, like, I've done this literally since I got out of college. The only way I've ever paid my rent is by making movies and TV shows. Oh, These wow. are good. I believe in them. I fucking love them. And it's like, I just want people to see them. And I want, these kids are talented. And I mean, one of the directors, he's only like 10 years younger. He's not a kid. The rest are like in their thirties. They're younger. These are like, these are good directors and they're in a part of the world where they're never going to get seen. They're going to make up short films. They're going to make great short films. And unless they move to LA or Atlanta or New York, Nobody's ever going to see their stuff. I want people to see their stuff. And again, I don't want them to ever have to work for me again. Go make real money with someone else. Like, get out there. Some of them, whatever. John, the the weird peeping Todd guys. Like, I would never, I'm only going to make low-budget movies. I'm like, whatever, dude, that's fine. But you should be in a position to turn people down. Tell people. Like, let someone offer you money and then tell me if you're turning down a $70 million feature, right? But yeah, that that's really the goal. It's like, yes, we all need to eat. And we have it set where we're paying everyone a living wage on set, like, Cost of living here is really low, so it's you know living living wage is a little lower here than it is other places. But like everybody's gonna get enough money to pay their rent and eat, and I just want these movies out. Like I don't care where they go as long as they don't get relegated to that. Like you're ten rows deep into Amazon Prime, and you look and go, what is that movie? And then maybe someone chances it, but more likely you pass it by and you go to the movie you've watched a hundred times to rewatch, or you see something with a name you recognize and you go right. So it's. There aren't as many explorers out there as, as we would hope. That's interesting. I have 
a pretty different approach to finding movies to watch than than any of what you just described. Yeah, I I have a giant backlog of films that have been recommended to me, um, and that's I, I usually when I'm going to watch a movie I, well I guess I have I have two uh, ways of doing it. I if I'm watching a movie by myself I seek out a specific movie that I want to see. Yep. Um, and if I'm watching a movie with my friends, which we have a weekly movie night. Uh, we each come in with like somewhere between one and 15 uh, oh, yeah. that we want to watch the trailers for. And we spend yeah. like a few hours watching yeah. trailers and then we pick one of those to watch. Uh, yep. So. I, dude, I, I love a trailer pack. So that's, yeah, we used to do the same thing. We would literally, it's like, it was trailer roulette basically. So instead of picking, we would screen them and someone had to hit the button and stop like in the middle, but like they, they had to not be the person looking basically. And so oh, they would okay. just randomly pick a trailer. So we called it trailer roulette. It was super fun. Uh, so I'm the same way. Like I have a backlog of movies that I need to watch. That's not mm -hmm. how most people watch. That is the film nerd. That's the film nerd way where we have so many things we want to see. The normal person that I talk to all the time at the theater, the normal viewer just goes onto Amazon. It's whatever they see first on Netflix or Amazon, or it's something someone's already told them about. Hmm. So my, like I'm reading like festival reviews and watching podcasts and listening to people and going and looking for these deeper recommendations, but that's, that's not normal, unfortunately. So, and, and that is, again, I wish I had the secret sauce of finding an audience or letting the audience find us. I just don't know what it is. Um, and I do hope by the time we do this a few times or you see one, I will seek out movies by the same producer or the same distribution team so i know like bloomhouse is the easy example right again his, his movies aren't my cup of tea really but it, and he's got some great ones but it is you people know to go look for a platinum dunes or to look for a bloomhouse so you know you know what you're going to get with those and so that keeps people excited nice um so uh given that you're just now like you've been in the industry for a, a long time but you're just now starting your own studio yeah. um where do you see the future of independent filmmaking going man i wish i knew so i think it is much more accessible now look like this is a really good camera now like steven yeah. soderbergh is making features on an iphone so if it's good enough for the guy that did oceans 11 it's you know it's pretty good um so it's become much more accessible i edit stuff on my laptop we can all use premiere pro it's 20 dollars a month or whatever it is uh, now davinci resolve it's free or Resolve for free, right? Which is, and Resolve is incredibly powerful and also the color correction is amazing. So yeah. all these tools are out there. All the kids that I teach have some other program that I've never heard of. They're like, no, I'm just gonna edit on whatever it is on my phone. I'm like, yeah, okay. And the stuff looks fine. So it's become more accessible. It's always gonna come down to story. To me, from the producing side, it's gonna be finding the storytellers. You can find a million people that can make a movie and have made a short. It's finding someone that really knows how to tell a story and has spent the time on the craft of it that's important to me. I think the future of indie cinema is streaming. Like, realistically, I always, it's, I, I hope to God it never goes away where there's not a physical place where you can join and other people and watch movies. I don't ever want that to go away. But streaming is what's going to be key. We all want that experience. We all want to be in our house. It is, as we get more specialized, I think you're going to see them start to peel off. I think there will be a Netflix, like, they already have their recommends with horror and stuff. But I think you'll start to see more specialized, like it's um, it's why I'm blanking on the horror streamer name, but it's uh, Shutter. like Shutter. Yeah, so Shutter, you'll start to see where the aficionados of a certain type of film, where you see more curated, basically channels, right? I think there will be more streamers popping up. The barrier to entry to open a streamer is a lot lower than it was when all these guys started mm -hmm. billions of dollars into it, because you can run off like the Amazon server systems, you can run off AWS, yeah. and you can you can pop up your own network for 
like you still need big corporate money. Like I can't pop up my own network, but it's not what it used to be. And I think we're going to see more creators of channels. Like I think eventually there'll be like the Ty West network and it won't just be his movies. It'll be movies. He loves because he has a very oh, distinct, view, very distinct. Interesting. I think there'll be a Jordan Peele, if not a network like Jordan Peele recommends. And maybe this is just me saying what I want to see, but that's, <laughs> and I do, I follow this stuff. I go to all the conferences. I try to read everything, talk to as many people as I can. I mean, here's the thing, right? Like I'm not that smart. So I try to talk to smart people. That's kind of what you're see. You're starting to see be talked about more curated because it is, I like, and I go through Letterboxd. I love Letterboxd, right? So like, I'll look at what does Scorsese recommend on Letterboxd? And then he does companion pieces for his films. So like for Killers of the Flower Moon, he's like, here are the 10 movies that I watched while I was making Killers of the Flower Moon. You should watch these to get a better grip on what I was thinking. And I'm okay. like, and then there's some weird 1938 movie that, you know, Marty Scorsese recommends. I'm like, yeah, I'm watching that, dude. Let's get in and see what's going on. So that kind of curation, I think, will help cut through the noise. Because right now there's just so much noise. There's so many movies. And again, I watch a movie. I literally watch something every day. And I am, shit, I'm probably 60 deep, like 62 or something deep on my list that I, <laughs> I don't know if I'm ever going to get to it. Because there's new stuff yeah. at the Oscar season all of a sudden. Like there's a bunch of stuff. I've not seen Killers of the Flower Moon yet. I've got that. We've got Anatomy of the Fall, the Palme d'Or winner at the theater. Like, it's a great thriller. I got to see that first. So it just, yeah, it's, it gets overwhelming. And I think the curation cuts through that. All right. What do you think of the very broad ones like Tubi? I, I'm glad they're paying filmmakers. I don't know <laughs> how. I mean, that's it, man. Like, as look, as long as it stays viable and you get more voices. But again, I think there's a lot of good content buried on there that I'll never see. And I don't know yeah. how I'm going to find it other than randomly clicking on stuff and, you know, playing streamer roulette. Yeah. Well, I mean, certainly that's one way, but the other way is like you were saying earlier, word of mouth. Yeah. But there's plenty of movies where somebody recommended it to me. And like, when honestly, nowadays, the first thing I do when somebody recommends a movie to me is I see if it's on Tubi. And if it is, I add it to my list. Uh, yeah. and, if it's, and if it's not, then I go, oh, all right, great. Now I have to try to figure out where it might be. So, <laughs> dude, so I, I write it in my Gmail. I keep a list on my mail and then I run through and then I'm like, okay, I have two hours and I go through and I just type in where streaming title of movie and it's like and i hate it because i have to go through i have jesus i think i have six services and then i have to search on google to figure out where it's going to be because i can't just type it into a search bar on there because the search feature on our master system is not great so yeah. yeah it's word of mouth is key i think especially for the real film people i think word of mouth is key and finding trusted curators it's just Finding the way to monetize, because it's an industry, right? So finding right. the way to monetize those trusted curators, whether you pay an extra bump to know what Jordan Peele recommends. Right now, it's all free. Right now, you can go to Letterboxd. You can read all the articles. There are always uh, A-frame lists, like the five movies that influenced my movie. You can go through their stuff and look. I, I, I try to do that with all of them. And they'll list like the DP, the production designer, the director, like here are the five movies that influenced me or influenced this particular film. But... I don't know how studios are going to monetize that. I know they will. And I just hope it doesn't lock people out. It's again, it's the danger of every time you monetize something, you lock a certain segment out and you know, film is a popular medium, right? It needs to be accessible. So the more you lock it out, the it's yeah, it's, it's a tricky yeah. line for them to walk. So I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I like the idea of like a, 
curation done by people whose tastes you have a reason to trust. Yeah. The thing I'm less uh, uh, eager about is the idea of them each being a different streaming service that I need to subscribe Dude. to. Right? There's and so many. There's so many. And that's one, like, drop, like, again, there's a reason I'm not rich, right? But it's like, drop it back. Like, Netflix, take Netflix back to whatever it was, $9 like it used to be. And then for $2, I can get the Jordan Peele channel. And for another $2, I can get this channel, mm. like, which is... I. I don't know how old you are, but like that's basically how cable worked, right? You added channels, you got a base package, and then you added channels. It's we're coming full circle on a lot of these as things start to, you know, Disney buys literally everything. It's not that different from buying Comcast or AT&T 15 years ago. You're getting a bunch of stuff and then adding channels as you go. Add ESPN Plus, add Hulu, whatever. It's they're just coming back around and then they're doing ads. And I'm like, oh, did you guys just figure out ads? Because I have terrible news for you. That's basically how TV worked for most of TV. So yeah. it's like, hey, we should do this new thing. We're going to add ads in between the content. Like, oh, you guys you guys just figured that out, huh? All right. Thank you so much for uh, coming on and talking about all of this. Um, your <laughs> website, which should be live by the time this uh, episode airs, is 318films.com, which is the number three, O-N-E, the number eight, films.com. Awesome. Uh, is that is there anybody is there anywhere else you'd like to direct people to follow you on social media or anything that's it that will lead you to all our socials and more importantly to where you can buy a piece of our company and be an investor in indie oh, film on your fancy. own the, the prices will be set low enough to be accessible to everyone look if you're a rich millionaire you can pay for the whole thing but if you're <laughs> a normal person with a normal job you can buy one piece of this film company and we believe we'll make money but if not you'll at least be a part of making pretty good content we'll say yeah, maybe great yeah. content see how it turns out all right. And sorry, did you say the the name of the, like, did you say the social media handle? If you did, I uh, No, they'll all be through 318films.com. You can oh, go okay. in there and that'll link to everything else. So yeah, it's okay. three, we're 318 films across all the platforms. We actually got, it's a, that's why the weird spelling, it lets us get our name across everything else, but there's not much out there yet, but it's about to start coming hard and fast. Basically all contracts are getting signed right now. And that's when the raise will start. And that's when people can start buying it. So yeah, hopefully be a part of history. Maybe you're buying into the next Corman. Maybe we blow the whole thing up. We'll see how it goes, but either way, We'll have fun trying. All right. Great. Well, thanks again and uh, good luck. Yeah, man. Thank you so much for having me on. I really enjoyed talking. And I will send you uh, the information about the guys making The Fetch, which is a brilliant horror movie. And I hope all your audience gets to see it soon. And I hope they get lots of money for it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Right on. All right. Thank you, man. Have a great day. You too.